Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 239 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. What's up? It is fall here in Indiana. My favorite time of the year for running. Absolutely fabulous outside. It's high 50s, low 60s when you're running. Just perfect weather all around. Awesome. It's good for about two weeks before the snow starts. Yeah, and then that's it, huh? Yeah, yeah. You got to enjoy it while you can. (laughs) Well, I just got back from Michigan, so I had my own little taste of fall, and it was beautiful, and I had a great trip with my parents ready to get back to work, and uh, I've committed to myself that I'm going to start training for a, a marathon. Oh! I've wanted to do it my whole life, and I said, F- it, now is the time, so it's time. Heck yeah. Yep. Have you chose your marathon? No, but I did just choose the commitment, okay? Slow down, Okay, buddy. yeah, 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 okay, I get you, <laughs> I get you. <laughs> Baby steps. Yep. You're from Detroit, and yes. my wife and I, we did the Detroit Marathon for 2016, on. It's a great race because you actually get to cross into Canada and back. So I always tell people, international marathon. Oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll do it. When is it? Uh, October-ish, I think. Cool. That time of the year. I'll check it out. That'll give me a, a year to train. Yeah. It's over that big ambassador bridge, back through the tunnel. It's pretty cool. And I think you run through the zoo, too. Sweet. I don't know. Worth checking out. All right. So what's happening this weekend? This is a big one. This weekend, uh-huh. it's the big Whitmix Digital Forum. Yay. This amazing once-a-year event down in Louisville. Louisville. Or up in Louisville, if you're in Florida. It's happening this weekend, October 28th and 29th. This jam-packed two-day event with a ton of speakers, smaller sessions, networking, and my most anticipated event, the Halloween costume party. Oh, yeah. And, of course, this podcast will be recording from the exhibit hall. That's right. Both Barb and I will be there talking. (laughs) Finally, I'll be there. (laughs) Yes, finally, Barb's going to show up. Yep. And we're going to be talking to anyone willing to sit down, put on the headphones and mic, and tell the industry their story. I believe this is our last event of the year. Who knows when the next one is? Chicago, maybe? Yes, sir. So if you're already registered, make sure you stop by. And if you're not registered, there's still a few days left to sign up and come to one of the best meetings of the year. So head over to Whitmix.com or this episode's show notes to register. Oh, yeah. All right. So what's happening this week? So this week we have a conversation I had with an amazing gentleman doing amazing things with digital dentistry in the removable space. Now, Barb, you missed this conversation. I know. That was the hurricane. Yeah, Yeah. we recorded the week after your big hurricane. Yeah. And I remember the lab shut down for like two days. And you had so much to do to catch up that you were actually working. (laughs) I know. You're a funny guy. Actually working. You weren't in Michigan. You weren't at the beach. You weren't doing something nice. You were actually catching up, which we understood. Thank you. But you missed a great conversation. I always do. John Madden's father taught at a dental school. Needing some help in the school's lab, John started off doing all the boring work. Yep. It wasn't long before he was doing most of the lab work. But at the same time, he was noticing a move to digital in the removable space. 
John, he's been in the removable digital arena since the early days. Many say it's still in the early stages, but talking to John, you would think it's well on its way to become the standard for all dentures and partials. John talks about his workflow, his past struggles, his current successes, materials that worked, materials that didn't work, and everything else you might have wondered about the world of digital removable prosthetics and the journey one man is taking to perfect it. So join us as we chat with John Madden. You know, Barb, the holidays are just around the corner. I know, Elvis, don't remind me. We've got gifts, vacation, celebration, food, and God, it gets so expensive. Heck yeah, it's expensive extremely in this economy. Have you ever thought about turning in your alloy scrap from the lab? Well, I'll be uh, who has scrap anymore. Everything is mostly zirconia these days, right? True. But just look on how high the price of precious metals are. Oh, yeah. Record highs. Off the charts. Of course, you are using less precious metals these days. But if you turn in half of what you sent in five years ago, you will get more now than you got five years ago. Half. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can, actually. That's amazing. Of course, this is all if you use a trusted reputable refining company. Well, I can say this, and I know this for sure, the only company I know that has been tested, trusted, and reputable for over a hundred years, a hundred years, is Colzer. They burn, melt, and assay all under one roof in their state-of-the-art refining facility in Wartburg, Tennessee. You know, they've actually doubled their production capacity to ensure that you get your payout within two weeks. That's quick. That's plenty of time to have your money before the holidays. I've got a question, though. How much of the value will we get? Well, the most of any company. Think about it. Their reimbursement to you is everything. Everything that you turn in, all they take is a 10% refining fee. Wow. There are zero additional fees. Colzer Refining will also send you a free container to ship it in, a prepaid fully insured UPS label, everything you need to get started. Just head over to mydental360.com forward slash refining or call our good friend, the Director of Precious Metal Refining, Tony Cercelli at... 914-906-1843. Well, I can tell you this. As soon as we're done, I'm going to ask somebody to collect all the vacuum bags, floor sweeps, miscasts, and spills from all over the lab so that we can get the best scrap return in the industry with Colzer Refining. Well, just because I know that you listen to the podcast, all you got to do is mention or note Voices from the Bench when you're turning in your scrap and Colzer Refining will add an additional 5% wow, that's a lot. to your value. Isn't that huge? Yeah. Just think of the gifts you could buy and send to us at the podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> and we appreciate your support of the podcast, Colzer Refining, that is always tested, trusted, and honest. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. I'd like to welcome a gentleman to the podcast this week. I think uh, you've been pretty loud online. I've seen you around. I think it was due time to have John Madden on the podcast. Someone that kind of shares a famous name like I do. (laughs) Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. It's good to join you. Yeah, Famous name club. 
were you named after the John Madden? No, no. no. So my dad's name is Michael John. And my name's John Michael, and that's as simple as it gets. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, my dad and I share the same middle name. Yeah, it's a it's a Midwest thing, I guess. Right. <laughs> So, John, you're into the digital removable. That's how I know you as that guy. Would you okay. say that's a fair statement? Yeah. Yep. I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. Digital removable, but more so not just where it's at now or where it's going even, but where it could be, where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's let's go back to the beginning. This podcast, we always like to find out how people got into this mess. Right. So, John, give us a story. How did you find out about it? Dentistry in general, I just grew up in a dental family, like like a lot of people that get into this job. Is. Sure. My dad is a dentist, so I kind of grew up around his dental office right when he was starting it. Those are some of my earliest memories. Yeah, going forward, I don't know that I really planned to be in dentistry so much, but I didn't really know what else I was going to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, while I was going to school, I was going to school for psychology at the University of Minnesota. I love that there's so many people with that degree <laughs> in our industry. I think it's hilarious <laughs> Yeah, and much needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a valuable skill to have if you're going to be in the dental business. <laughs> have you ever thought about just putting a couch down at like Lab Day Chicago and be like, yeah. hey, if anyone needs to talk this out? <laughs> I think it's a degree, you know, I always think it's a degree for people that are lost or people that are looking for themselves. And so <laughs> that's kind of what happened anyways. I was obviously pursuing that degree and we'll just say college took me a little bit longer than it does most people. That's okay. <laughs> so uh, I was about seven and a half years into my four-year degree. Oh, there right? you go. <laughs> and I was a student worker at the dental school because uh, my dad moved into dental education about 25 years ago. Was he teaching at that school? Yep. He got oh, me a okay. job, you know, pouring models, basically sweeping the floors of the lab, kind of doing those things at the dental school. And that's really how I started to move into building dental lab skills there was somebody there that became a mentor to me and really gave me a leg up sure so that school had its own dental lab in it absolutely yes so at different points in time the lab was much bigger but now there's you know three full-time technicians and some volunteers and student workers as well sure was there ever a technician school part of that program no, no 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 a couple of people have wanted that for quite some time, but to no avail. It just hasn't materialized. Sure. So. Okay, so you're sweeping floors, pouring <laughs> models. This yeah, guy right. says, hey. Uh, yeah, so they need these models, like uh, study models and stuff for their yeah. clinical experience. So you're like pouring hundreds and thousands of the same model. So that yeah. was basically my my very first kind of task. And then another thing that they do is they get into, you know, you have... 110, 120 undergraduate dental students, and they'll have to make their first set of dentures. And, and somebody needs to process all those. So I was taught how to do that. And that's kind of how it all began, processing dentures. <laughs> Did you say to yourself, how come they're not processing this if they're, quote unquote, making you their know, first denture? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get to that point till much later, but that thought has crossed my mind plenty of times. I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty natural thought. <laughs> It's where my mind went the first time. Yeah. Are you technically making this if you're not 
right. processing it. But. Right. <laughs> and I, and that's, you know, to a broader point that that's kind of like you should be able to do it. Whether or not you did it this time, you should be able to do the whole process. And that's kind of the point is you're, as the dentist, you should be the master and commander of the whole deal. But that falls short sometimes, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't need you to do it perfect, but we need you to be able to understand it. I would think. Yeah. What do I know? (laughs) Yeah. Having a mastery of all the steps is a big deal. And so that's where I started. I started, you know, understanding dentures in that capacity basically from the perspective of education i was really lucky in that regard to be in a school the whole time because as i found out in college i'm a different kind of learner i don't really learn in the same way that every well everybody else is supposed to learn i don't really feel like too many people actually just learn by sitting and reading a book or memorizing facts but oh i'm the same way yeah what really resonated with me in the laboratory space was you know, one, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do because psychology jobs were paying minimum wage anyways without a really, master's really? degree. Wow. And I had tried a couple and not really liked it. But the lab work really resonated with me in that you could, one, learn from somebody else. You didn't have to pick up a book. You didn't. I mean, I did end up picking up a book and studying for my CDT and sure. reading all the books, really. But you didn't do it on someone else's schedule. You did it on your own and like when it was relevant to you. Mm-hmm. And basically, there's the mentorship and like learning through mentorship that really hit a note for me. Yeah. Were you able to sit in on some clinical classes? I was. They were gracious enough to let me sit on in, in, in a bunch of removable classes. That's awesome. A couple fixed classes. But also, you know, so I was working in the area where they're teaching all those classes anyways. And so basically you're setting up all the classes for them, each one, and then you're kind of sitting through it and distributing all the materials and all the instruments and, and all this stuff and cleaning oh, up see. after them. And so you're kind of learning by absorption, really. <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of in the room already. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super handy to see the whole, you know, not just one side of the process, but you're really seeing not only the whole process, but the intent of the process from the people that are, you know, experts. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like I said, that was a great environment to be in. And I had a great mentor in that space. And So who was that? Was that just a lab guy that was there? Yeah, sure. So Luther Isaac was the person that I worked under every day and was gracious enough to be very generous teaching me things. I don't know that I would necessarily be that generous all the time, (laughs) but he was generous with, you know, what he taught me and having an infinite amount of patience. And actually, if you go on YouTube, he has a lot of videos that he shares with everybody, the whole world on the basics of denture repairs and denture setups and stuff like that. So how long was he at the school? Was he like that whole lab? He just recently left. He was one of the people that did the COVID retirement. Oh, yep. Other than that, he had been at the school for like 25 years. Wow. So he had experience, you know, being patient and teaching, which was, you know, super necessary for me. (laughs) (laughs) Super necessary. If you want to hang out with me, you have to have a lot of patience, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Were you a problem student? (laughs) I don't know if I'm an easy person to deal with all day, every day in any capacity. Student So. At least you know it. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> know thyself. Yep. 
Right. And just kind of progressing, I think what eventually happened is I moved out of that preclinical area when, when a job opened up, up in the clinic. Oh, and Luther okay. at, at that time, Luther had moved up there a year or so before this anyways. So I was kind of, you know, moving up in my laboratory duties and responsibilities. And at that same time, I was noticing in the trade magazines, the very beginnings of digital dentures. Mm. So like Avident, right? Being the first kind of digital denture company and seeing like Tim Thompson in that very first trade magazine and people saying digital dentures are possible at the same time that I'm kind of learning. I'm in the beginnings of learning dentures as a trade (laughs) <laughs> and I said to myself, oh, no, <laughs> I've got to learn this. I've got to, you know, do or die here. I've, I've got to learn this or perish. And that was like a very salient thought. Like that came, that thought was like burned bright. And I just ran with that. And we're talking all the way back to 2011 here. Yeah. So you actually <laughs> feared the digital denture? No, I can remember the exact instant I saw that magazine article. Yeah. And I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. The words in my head were, you have to learn this or else. <laughs> like, Oh, so you were encouraged to go the digital route. I, I was see. like, you yeah. have to, because I had witnessed what happened. And there's, there's like a, you know, like a prevalent message or at that time there was kind of like this dispute really digital analog because we're talking you know 2010 2011 the dispute still happens man (laughs) oh not for me not for me like but i'm sure there's people that still make the argument but yeah 2010 especially in an academic environment like this was massive right like this attitude of digital versus analog and which is better and which is worse and was happening and fixed and this was the first time you're seeing that with the removable flavor mm-hmm. to it. And it yep. was just like an absolute. People were like, no way. It's not going to happen. It was like a visceral response from most people to the point where I remember seeing the YouTube video of kind of the first meeting that Avident held at Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was at a restaurant. And like, there's a YouTube video of people like getting up and screaming and like throwing things. And, oh, like, nice. <laughs> I mean, it was like, a, it was... It was a violent idea in its beginnings. You can't outdo acrylic? What are you, crazy? Well, but just the idea of full arch digital, I think, is what was offensive. Like, Oh, I see. You know, because, yeah. I mean, the thought was, the you know prevailing message was, single unit digital dentistry is not even proven. How are you going to do full arch? And then, de- and then you're going to try to invade the denture space? And, like, and that was really the, the feeling at the time. Yeah. And I thought it was ridiculous then. And I think it's ridiculous now, but it's really just that dentistry is comprised of many different people of many different ages that have made a lot of money on things being the way that they are. And so you really can't fault them for that. Like they've oh, no. made a career out of things being the way they are. So that doesn't mean the world has to stay the same. And that's kind of how is always how I felt about it. When this magazine article caught your attention, yeah. were, at, at this point, are you are you comfortable with digital? Was the school doing anything? No. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, so the school was doing a little bit of scanning and some Sarah crowns. Yeah. And they were just at the beginning of, of that phase of academic 
well, whatever phase of yep. their curriculum. And no, like, so another mentor of mine, Dr. Paul Olin, had a relationship with Avident and was able to start doing the very first Avident digital dentures in Minnesota way back in like 2012, 2013. And me being the only person that could really operate a computer (laughs) (laughs) became the default person to assist with that. And also I had seen that magazine article and I said, no way is this going to happen if I've got to figure out a way to be involved. And so both those things, the enthusiasm and kind of being the only person willing to do it led to me doing those first Avident dentures in Minnesota, which didn't really work that well. (laughs) I mean, for the first three years of us trying evident dentures, I mean, did they go in? Yeah, but there was all sorts of problems with everything, with the trying method, with the manufacturing method kind of falling apart with, I mean, admittedly, I mean, evident will admit this, there was, there was problems in the beginning. And then there was this miraculous day where right around, I want to say 2014, 2015, when they started doing Wagner try-ins which is basically a wax rim try-in rather than a gothic arch tracer style try-in. And that was like the the magic day where everything started hitting, at least for us at the university. So yeah. instead of doing gothic arch, they just went to traditional wax rims and that fixed everything? No, it's it's what's called a Wagner try-in. It's a, I'm not familiar. It's a try-in that's based off of averages. So if your patient is like a class one, and like within one standard deviation of class one, everything, then the trine works pretty well. So it's a wax rim with an anterior six on it where mm. you adjust the wax rim, take the bite and then assess aesthetics based on the anterior six. And that works really well because it's simple and it's yeah. something that people are generally accustomed to. They're not accustomed to that specific method, but they're accustomed to wax rims. They're sure. accustomed to like a speedy, wax rim try and adjust the wax rim take a bite make some notes and pass it along yeah so it was the day that they hit that which was great because that's what everybody's trained in anyways whereas only prosthodontists were and very few prosthodontists were trained well in a gothic arch tracer method so once they kind of nailed down the try-in and had ironed out some of the manufacturing issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, teeth falling out, basically. <laughs> Bonding issues. Yeah. Then that started to work really well. And that's kind of where it where it hit a stride there, right? Like 2014, 2015, it started to accelerate. And to the point where now 20 to 30% of the dentures that we do were digital dentures. Back then. No, no. I mean, back oh. then it was more like 10%, 5%. Yeah. And then slowly built up to 20 or 30. And back in those days, I mean, there was no software that you were able to design all this, I think. No. So basically... did it all, right? Right. So the duties then were to collect the information. Yeah. And that's where there was this weird shift. And you and I were talking about this earlier. Is like, who's responsible for the collective process? Who's responsible for knowing you know, all of the steps so you can tell where all the errors came in. And that kind of shifted and it and it shifted first with me. I've seen it shift with other technicians as well. But 
that shifted there. Like rather than knowing the process and knowing what to do, they would ask me, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) What do I do here? And I'm like, Oh, you just do this and this and this. And then, then they'd bring it, bring me back the try in and examine it and be like, no, you missed these critical pieces. Then I would scan everything and, you know, fill in the prescription and communicate all the changes. And then we'd get it back. And, and that's basically the shtick, which evolved into like a lot of, clinical experience with dentures that I wasn't expecting to get. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, thousands and thousands of arches later, that cumulative experience is probably one of the most valuable things in, I guess, in my career as a dental technician is not many people get to see that firsthand. No, that chairside experience is amazing. Right. And communicating that with a new dentist or like an experienced prosthodontist and like just really the communication process and the data collection process and like nailing that down over so many instances is like, I I can't even say how grateful I am for having been at the right place in the right time yeah, in no, history yeah. for that. Yeah. How did you in the school decide which patients to go digital? Back in those yeah, days. no, I most I most certainly didn't. <laughs> I mean, I came up with a set of rules for myself as to whether or not it would work or not. But yeah, definitely not the decision maker there. So I, you know, it's funny because there there are a clear set of guidelines, I, I guess, that I would transmit to a clinician, and and those have mostly to do with their own personal skill level or exposure to digital dentures as a whole. And just saying that, you know, if it's your first digital denture, you probably want to make it a really simple case. Yeah. You know, class one jaw relationship, patient is extremely average. The jaw isn't moving all over the place. You're you're not capturing a different bite each time. The patient doesn't have like some outline condition like, you know, Parkinson's or something where the they have a movement disorder or TMJ or jaw trauma, you know, none of that stuff. Just keep it simple. (laughs) Yeah. Get started easy. The simpler that you keep it, the more likely you are to have success and make it through the process, Yep. which is really a three appointment denture workflow. Your first appointment is general collections of records and maybe some size data, papillometer readings, Mm -hmm. tooth size data, stuff like that. The second appointment is the denture try-in, like a a wax rim try-in, an anterior six try-in. And the third appointment is the delivery. And like the only way you can condense a denture workflow into that is to have all the cylinders firing. And if you're dealing with a clinician that's never done a digital denture, it's really tough to get all the cylinders firing. Oh, I bet. Um, Yeah. And so, so I just say, you know, keep it simple. Make sure it's an average patient. Make sure the patient's not like class three. Make sure the patient is not a whole bunch of things, but average. And then if that's true, then you can move forward and probably make it through the process. I think that was my criteria was weeding out all the really difficult cases and not doing cases that were extreme, like really early on, you know, like 2016, 2015, I would have people come to me and they would say, hey, I want to do this digital denture case because we couldn't get a good analog impression. And I would say to them, are you nuts? You've been doing <laughs> the analog impression technique for your entire career and you can't do can't it that do way. That. So yeah. you want to try it doing it this way you've never done before. I mean, that 
that kind of makes sense and is also kind of insane at the same time. It still <laughs> happens today, John. I mean, I run into yeah, a no, dental it's... office and they're like, we want to do a digital denture. I have an upper and lower on a patient that hasn't worn dentures in 10 years. You're like, this is not a good place to start. Right, right. So when I'm giving advice to people, I'm like, hey, make sure it's a class one, easy p- patient, low hanging yep. fruit. And then not picky, <laughs> not pick, yeah, low aesthetic mm-hmm. demands, and really just focus on making it through the process and not complicating it. What was your success rate back then on on these avident dentures? Yeah, back I in mean, the early days, like I said in the beginning, it was really, really low. <laughs> or you had to set an appropriate bar. You're like, not only have I never done this, or the clinician, like in the beginning, but nobody had yeah. really ever done it before. So you're you're going without a textbook. That becomes dangerous. But I would say it took two and a half years before we found something that did work. And then it took another two and a half years for that for people to accept that it was working. Because what we did in the beginning was show that it didn't work a whole bunch. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, you get a that kind of reputation out there. And then people start laughing at you and saying that it's never going to work or say, you know, like (laughs) they get a mentality based on that track record. And that hurts a little bit, you know, that stings. And then, you know, you get to the point where it is working and they don't believe you, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) they don't believe that it's working because you already set a poor track record. And then eventually you overcome that reputation. And so I think when we kind of like overcame that, was probably like 2016, 2017, and doing a lot of really nice digital dentures. And and again, setting some rules, like what are the great guidelines for successful digital dentures? Co- well, a complete over complete denture that is a set of replacement dentures, that's a slam dunk. Yeah, you already have the references. Yep. For the digital denture workflow. So that that became like a standard or a cornerstone and then again, that, that Wagner trying with a really simple jaw class, that became a cornerstone. And we kind of like built off of that and would expand until, you know, late in 2018, we're, you know, moving to implant retained dentures and obturators and, and really complex stuff. Are you doing over dentures with Avidan? You can. I have. Oh, nice. I've done partial dentures, over dentures, obturators, just, I mean, you can almost do anything. They have some nice bar options if you want to do that. Wow. I didn't realize. Yeah. So that, and I, and I don't want to just say that Avident is the end all be all of all the digital dentures we did. Sure. Obviously, obviously when the software came along, we started using that software to do our own in mm-hmm. in smaller increments but yeah it really grew into something that i hadn't expected the direction it was going to grow in yeah so you're still doing this at the school that yes at what point are you still with avident or have you moved on at the school they still use quite a bit of avident dentures you're not at the school anymore no yeah i am oh okay that's what i thought yeah, yeah. so yeah so just like uh per like all the things that i do right so i work at the school i have my own small dental lab i do a lot of consulting for 3d printing companies and i have my hand in some software startups so basically you have like zero time right now no time yeah no <laughs> time guy. but i think from like a bird's eye view really just staying inside of all the problems 
in digital removable dentistry. Like, yeah. I just, you're right in saying like all my time is consumed. It's really consumed. It seems like it's consumed by like 20 different things. It's really consumed by just one problem, which is how do we move removable digital dentistry from where it's at to where it should be? Yeah. And so I, I'm blessed to have all these opportunities that really revolve around the same thing. Do you think removable digital is struggling more than fixed digital? N- no, not at all. No. One started before the other. Obviously. Sure. Yeah. And so they're on a different evolutionary path, really, or they're just a, on a different timeline. Mm-hmm. And so they're also, you know, really different problems. Yeah. You know, I really look at removable as the key to full arch dentistry. Like, whether you're learning it or trying to execute it or whatever, it's the fundamentals of full arch dentistry, like encapsulated. So it's a really complex problem. And then when you add in all the stuff that we add in, in the United States with expectations around dentures and removable dentistry, it becomes even more complex because the situation that we have here in the U S is kind of not the same as the situation you have in Germany or in Brazil or in Italy or China with regards to dentures. Like all these countries view tooth replacement and dentures through a different lens. And here it's economy, right? It's it's economy, 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 and speed. And that's not really how the whole world feels about it. So when we look at our, our software and we look at our printing and we look at all of our solutions, based in what the world expects when what we expect here is a little bit different. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? Is it just our look on dentures? If you, you, know? if you go far enough out, it's pay and reimbursement through insurance companies. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really what it is. And, sure. and expectation, right? Like we have a, a really longstanding tradition of quote unquote, same day denture work. In the U.S., which is maybe not the case elsewhere. We have a quality expectation that's low based on a convenience expectation. It's America, man. We want it fast and cheap. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I think when you look at it through that lens, then you start to see all the real big problems that we have applying digital dentistry is, like you just said, it's an American problem. Like we don't have a problem as a global community. We have a problem applying these technologies to the American version of the problem. Yeah. And it doesn't help that in order to do it fast and cheap, it costs a lot to get into it, you know, to get your digital scanner and your printers and all that. It's not cheap. Right. And I, and to your point, I think the biggest cost is really time and effort, you know? Mm. So if you want to learn these things, if you want to learn them well, if you want to, you know, like as a general practitioner or a crown and bridge laboratory manager or whomever, if you want to learn digital removable, you really got to invest some time in learning removable. And you would then yeah. have to learn all the digital manufacturing techniques and then learn how much time full arch design can take and then learn how little time it can take. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, so you have to commit and invest a lot of time to become that person and not everybody can and then you have the money <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. cost of the equipment on top of that which really a lot of people put the one first they spend the money only to realize 
they don't have the time and commitment. And so then you get to pick up cheap equipment on eBay. That is so true. I mean, I've gone to a lot of labs and they have all the equipment, but they're not utilizing it. Right. Because they haven't put in that time, that effort to truly understand it. That is so true. Yeah. Also, you got to devote people. Like in a laboratory, I've seen a lot of that stuff sit dormant because they didn't devote personnel to it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I've been that person where they said, like at the university, they wanted to start doing digital custom abutments. And they bought rebranded ExoCAD through Zimmer to do that. And they just dropped the computer off and said, good luck, <laughs> you know, and, and yep. I've been that person sitting there frustrated for like three, three and a half months, one, not knowing how to design a custom abutment mm-hmm. and two, not knowing how to do it on the computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also not being a crown and bridge person, having no idea how to design the crown that goes on top of it. And someone drops that in front of you and says, learn this. And you just kind of you flounder and feel really bad for like three or four months before you really have your first successes. And I feel like that's the part that people are either unaware of or, or forget is you're going to go through this series of failures that feels really, really bad. (laughs) Yeah. They get discouraged. Yeah. I just dropped this much money. This thing should work right out of the gate. And it just doesn't. Exactly. So they forget the personnel component and that's really the, the big issues is you need some star you need some star players if you're going to open a new department that's digital whether it's removable or whatever it may be you need to you need to figure out who your star players are to do that cuz they need to have resilience yeah they got to have self motivation yeah they got to be self starters yep. and they can't give up yeah so you're at this school you mentioned you now have your own lab what brought that on not enough to do at the school? <laughs> well, I, you know, like I said, I was really blessed to be in that environment yeah. and learning digital dentures at volume while everybody else was learning digital dentures at volume. And it was just eventually those people would graduate and they would want help with their digital dentures when they left. Mm. And there wasn't any labs that were able to facilitate that, at least not in that way that it had been done at the school. And just, you know, helping the people that I knew through being at the university and helping them continue with their digital dentistry after they left or outside was kind of a natural transition. Yeah, basically, I have a very small boutique laboratory where I make all sorts of digital prosthetics and just helping people that I know through the community here. I was going to say, I mean, you must have just like a, you don't have to advertise, just people graduate and no, you have I a new do, client. I don't. Yeah. yeah, and it's not so much that as it as it became, you know, like faculty and yeah, graduating students, but also just, you know, people in Minnesota that wanted to do digital dentistry that weren't able to find the resources. Mm-hmm. I think pretty early on, at least with the removable stuff, they would find me because I was the one that was excited about it. You yeah. Know? And that's an unusual thing to be excited about removable dentistry. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you're right. I don't have to like go out and find it. There's there's plenty of opportunity there. I think it's just having the right attitude about digital removable and being willing to uh, help people and like handhold through the clinical process until you find something with, that works with them and allow them to hit their own personal stride. And then you've built a relationship. So 
do you spend a lot of chair side with your clients in your own life? I mean, not so much anymore. At at first, I would, I would spend time, you know, going back and forth with them. I would spend time chair side, especially with the hybrid stuff. I would spend time troubleshooting. We would spend time failing together. We would yeah. spend time, you know, like all, all those things happened over a, a, what is now a long period of time. I mean, it's been well over 10 years now. Oh, 10 years ago, you opened your lab. The lab has been open since 2015, so not quite 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. What equipment got you started? Did you get 3Shape, XOK? <laughs> scanner. Just a scan. You start with a scanner. That's all you started with. Yep, just a scanner and ExoCAD, and then I now I'm a three shape user, Blue Sky Plan user. I got you know I've all the printers, I've all, the Roland Mill, you know all the stuff you start with. <laughs> yeah, are you the only one there, or do you have employees? Nope, it's just me. Wow, and that's the way I would keep it, and that's why I think it's successful for me. Is I only do the stuff that I want to do. I only help yeah. the people that I want to help. And that allows me to really build relationships with people rather than just trying to build business. And I think that's probably what's important because at the end of the day, what has always been the most important to me is like, I want to make sure that the digital removable or the digital dentistry, I want to make sure that it works. I want to make sure that that person leaves with the feeling that, not only was it successful this time, but it can be successful. Like, cause I went through that period where none of it worked <laughs> and yeah. it was so frustrating. And I just want, I don't want other people to feel that because there's so much negative energy coming from, you know, the person that's been in dentistry for 30 years and is saying, don't do that. That'll never work or whatever they're hearing. All they need is one bad experience with right. a quote unquote and, digital denture and they'll be off it the rest of their career. That's correct. And so, and that was my, that's been my experience for a long number of years. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm wanting to set people up for success and whether they like continue with me is really irrelevant. I just want them to see that they can do this. And then eventually you build all these people around you that are not only doing that, but adding to it. You know, you mm -hmm. see people that are adding technique and they're adding different kinds of successes and it becomes like a whole thing. It's not just like one, one guy, uh, yeah. you know, trying to pull everybody through it, which was, that was my life for a while too. So just building successful energy around 3d printing, 3d removable digital dentistry. That's kind of the goal, I think. So what are you still using Avident? Yeah, I still, I mean, I still use some Avident, like all my bonded tooth dentures. So like if I'm bonding actual carded teeth into the okay. denture, I let them do yep. that. Um, the other milled dentures, I'll mill those dentures. I print some dentures. I don't really like to do it a lot as a final product. What are you milling your dentures on? The Roland. Really? I didn't, yeah. You hear so much about the P7 being the only millable thing yeah but I, I mean so the pm7 that's PM7, great um yeah. they have a whole lot of options you can do the two-piece milling you can do the oversized milling you can do the you know ivotion disc and yeah and that's definitely a thing and i would you know that's a really strong mill for a big production environment and mm -hmm. i'm just not doing those numbers and so i would just encourage anybody out there you know you can really do that on a lot of mills 
you're not going to be able to do it with every case. Yeah. But you can mill dentures on pretty much any five axis mill. So go out and do it. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, you don't even see these companies kind of advertise that you can or push it. I mean, maybe I'm just not seeing it, but yeah, Roland I think is... maybe that's a misperception. I think so. Roland's latest mill that they just came out with, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, that but one this, that the multi disc, yeah, this changer with the upgraded spindle. Yeah, that is kind of meant for milling dentures and partials or hard acrylic, like harder materials like acrylic. Sure. And so um, that's why I believe that's why they upgraded the spindle. And the tool size was to do for faster milling of harder objects like PMMA, acetyl, do a lot of acetyl milling. But well, their advertising's not working because I'm not noticing. I didn't know it this. just came out. It yeah, just yeah. just showed up in the latest magazine. So sure. But if obviously a lot of people don't, especially on machines with electric spindles, they don't mill a lot of PMMA because it's bad for the spindle. Mm. But I have done a ton on my Roland and I love it. <laughs> I, I love bet. It. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not only the PMMA, but the acetyl is even harder. Yeah. Milling acetyl on a electric spindle. I mean, the acetyl is a really hard material not to be messed with in it. And I've milled a ton of acetyl frames on that Roland. So that's the, the Zerlux kind of in between a framework and a flexible. Yeah. So the acetyl material is like, uh, it's like peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more flexible. So it's a pretty durable polymer frame that's flexible, that can be adjusted like acrylic, um, that you process teeth to. And and it looks just like a chrome frame, but it's white. So yeah. you can have white clasps, and it's pretty popular, especially in the last few years. And I love it. It's not the end of, like, digital partial dentures but it's one of many variations out there now yeah i've talked to a lot of labs they have issues doing digital partials how much time to take you to dial that down yeah i mean i would say of all the things out there digital partials is in its absolute infancy there there is so much to the partial denture that it just you know eludes everyone in dentistry let alone you know when you try to translate traditional to digital that's you know one of the things that i've done is write several patents on how the digital partial you know may evolve and it's a little bit lost because you need to take again the old ways that we were manufacturing and you need to keep the principles yeah translate it into the new production the new machines the new softwares and Really, I feel like that's where way behind is in learning the new principles of design, what needs to change, and having the software come and meet that. Yeah. And so the only option I think that's out there that is truly digital is probably the Arfona. Oh, yeah. 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 And so when you look at like who made it to the all digital partial first, it was absolutely Justin. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely Arfona. And is that perfect? I mean, that's not perfect. It's only one thing. It's only Valplast. It doesn't include chrome frames. It doesn't include wire clasps. It doesn't include all these things we think of when we think of partial dentures, but it did make it. <laughs> one yeah. part of partial dentures made it all the way. And that's such a huge success. And I think we have a long way to go to get 
the rest of partial dentures there because there's so much evolution that needs to take place. I think as we add new materials, as we add new flexible materials, like not only are we changing the design, we're changing the textbook, right? Like eventually you're adding these new materials. You have to start teaching it differently clinically to change for how thick do we make rest seats? How thick do we make clasps? When do we prescribe this? When do we treatment plan for that? And so as all that evolves, I feel like the digital parcels is probably going to be the longest process to flush out. Well, they're still barely teaching metal frameworks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now we're adding all this other stuff. Yeah, I don't even know that a lot of the older textbooks mention Valplast at all or flexible partials at all. Oh, probably it pretty not. much just explains chrome partial dentures. And it may have a chapter on acrylic partial dentures, but that doesn't mean from the dentist side of things, from the clinical side of things, the education kind of needs to catch up. And I, that requires some stability in the market to like gel first as like, okay, what are going to be the leading materials? And then how do we develop principles around that? How much of a learning curve is the Seagull for a clinician? Or is it pretty much like a metal framework? <laughs> Um, you can't really design it exactly like a metal framework. All the clasps need to be thicker. I mean, there's some general rules of thumb. Like I design them as if they're going to be all acrylic partial dentures. So basically Hmm. no rest seats is my preference. I do occasionally do them with rest seats if there were existing rest seats. Sure. But I don't tell the dentist you should prep for rest seats because you don't know how that's going to react. It is slightly flexible. So Basically, I'm making clasps that are a lot thicker. They're pretty much one and a half to two millimeters. And then when they terminate, they're like three millimeters wide. So they're pretty wide clasps. And then the framework itself is is a bit thicker. And then I allow a little bit more for a resin gap underneath the mesh. So, So there's differences, but it's a great appliance. And if they're designed correctly, they're super durable. They got really low water absorption, and I Mm -hmm. think they last a long time. Yeah, and you still finish the teeth in acrylic traditionally on them. That's right. You're still setting teeth and then processing acrylic or designing teeth to be milled and then processing them into place. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of variations on how people assemble them in the end. Yeah. And And I think that's the biggest part of design that needs to change is like how partial dentures are assembled. Normally, they were assembled by having a stone cast, putting everything on the stone cast, and processing it in acrylic. And really, when we start thinking about how the technology aids us, we need to start thinking, how can these be assembled without a model altogether? Yeah. And really, that comes down to design. Have you ever done a modelist yes. partial or denture? Yep. Yes. Really? Yeah. And I think there's quite a few people that have, but... Like I said, I I have a patent on that and some other things with the university. But I think, you know, I think the standard now is to print a cast, mill the frame, make the saddles and the teeth mill or print them, and Mm. then just do a reline of that on the plastic model, on like Mm. an ESEP model or whatever the case may be. So it can be done with a plastic model as well. You know, I'm not saying that. It's just kind of an extra step. I think we want to be thinking, how can we do this in the with the fewest amount of parts in the fastest way possible? Yeah. So you mentioned patent a few times. Yeah. Is it a process that you're patenting? 
Yeah, I think it, it's a process and and it's a design, right? So basically, oh. how do you assemble these things? What does the design need to look like? And then also, if you're going to be making these in the thousands, it becomes a manufacturing process, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. Are you utilizing this patent for yourself? No, or how, how does absolutely. this work? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. It's just kind of like a exercise in thought, right? Like, if the world were to change how it should for the like current set of tools that we have, what would the design really look like? Because it doesn't look like what we have now is how do we design things that always existed? How do uh-huh. the t- software tools that we have now, they design Chrome frames. That's it. Yeah. Everything else was like an add-on after the fact. <laughs> no one set out to design partial denture software. We designed... we. We had Crown and Bridge software that eventually we added dentures to. That eventually we added. Yeah, we just kept manipulating to. it. It yep. just kept adding to the same body of work. And like I said, that has worked to a degree. And and I think that if you're thinking ahead, you're like, hey, a lot more needs to change. And like I said, especially in the partial denture realm, a lot more needs to change with everybody, with the dentist with the education of the dentist, with the materials, with the printers, with yeah. everything is moving in a direction and the textbooks have and the softwares have all stayed the same. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. good point. So where do you see all this going? What is your ultimate goal? I just, I just Tough want to question, part- I know. <laughs> I guess for me, I just want to participate in whatever's happening in the next iteration of digital removable digital dentistry period i just as much as i can i want to be involved in that process and help shape that process uh, because it's what i do all day every day and like when i when i look at the motivations of all that it was because i was doing whatever i was doing and i was like this is dumb it could be better (laughs) you know so that's how um, great things start (laughs) well you just kind of like Really, we're looking at fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer people with experience to make a growing amount of objects. Like, let's say you have 10 million pieces of work that need to occur in a year. How are you going to do that with fewer and fewer technicians? Yeah. And the answer is you have to rely on the technology and you have to rely on a process of growth. In order for that to happen, things have to change. You can't be spending extra time printing an extra model. You can't be spending extra time, you know, when the design software crashes. You can't be spending extra time doing all these things. Like the, not the small process of like me processing acrylic to a frame. That's antiquated already. It's like, but what is the process tomorrow? And how do we tailor that to our actual need? Like, I think that's where it's going for me. Like, I want to be a part of not finding the solution, but everybody finding a solution. Like, I don't need to find the solution myself, but a solution needs to happen because, you know, like I said, you have people retiring because of COVID. You have people exiting the workforce for all sorts of reasons. Oh, absolutely. And you have no schools for technicians. Yep. And you have not really a strong interest in the trades. And then you have all this possibility in 3D printing technology. It just needs to be cultured and manicured in a way that makes sense for all of us. Well, we have to make it exciting for people so we get people into the field. 
Yeah, absolutely. How are you getting involved? Are companies reaching out to you? Are you... You know, that's really weird. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) 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 I know what happened was I would do my job and every day I would say, geez, I wish there was a better way for us to be successful at this digital venture. And then I would say, oh, we did a digital denture. Now I'd really like to do a digital partial denture. And then nobody was doing that. So then I started trying to do that. And I'm just always wishing there was a little bit more to help with, yeah. a little bit more to add to removable digital dentistry. And like, that's really all I'm doing every day. And I think in doing that for a long period of time, what happened is people started asking me questions mm-hmm. and then the type of person just changed over time. <laughs> You know, it was dental students, it was faculty, it was this, it was that. And eventually it became product developers and it became people that owned massive companies. Yeah, that's exciting. It was just kind of a natural evolution. I don't I don't know that I sought it out. Yeah, you didn't go out and reach out to these companies. They found you. Yeah, for the most part. I, but, yeah. it, you know, I think it comes out of wanting to answer those critical questions. And if you're pursuing the right questions and you're spending time in the problems, then you're apt to find the solutions. Mm-hmm. And especially in your situation, I mean, you're a solo guy by yourself in a lab figuring out these problems. Yeah. You are the R&D. You are <laughs> the problem solver. You are all the process. There's a little bit of an error in there, <laughs> Elvis. It's I am trying to solve the problems, but very rarely am I alone. You know, even... Like at the school, I'm surrounded by a team of awesome technicians, but also very curious students that their next 30 years in dentistry is this. It's not Mm. the past. It's the future. And so it's like, again, it's environment. It's like I'm in an environment where most of the people there are concerned with what's going to happen in the next 40 years rather than the past 40 years. It's a super unique environment. You're at a school. You're surrounded by a lot of talented people end up teaching at a university. So you're surrounded by talented people that are always asking questions. And it's like, it's a huge blessing. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, plus all those students that are basically born with an iPhone 6 in their hand. Right, they're, exactly. They're, they're in it. They want to do it. That's going to be the driving force. I and mean, that is. and I And to be immersed in that every day. It is a gift, you know, or it's a motivator at the very least. It's a a huge motivator. Yeah. The times of running into a clinician or even a technician that's scared of a computer. Yeah. So much a thing anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, some of the battle and it's only just, it's going to speed up this process as we move forward. Yeah. So what, are you speaking a lot these days? Do you even get into that? Are you working with companies? I did used to speak for Avident. I do do CE classes through the university with faculty members. I kind of do some 3D printing talks and and stuff like that, some digital denture talks. But really, I don't like to do it all that often. Yeah, (laughs) I kind of like to just uh, keep on a pace and like be in the lab and and do that stuff. I think if I was to do another class, I would probably, and I've been meaning to and trying to for quite some time to do not only a class on partial dentures, kind of what the discussion we just had, but yeah, but also on specifically talking about acetyl framework design for lab yeah. technicians. Like I said, I've done so many of those and just there's a lot of nuance to making a frame that lasts. I would love to do a class on that someday, but I, 
like I said, I have a few things. Yes. A couple couple irons in the fire. So yeah, come on. You can squeeze in the time, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, John, that's amazing stuff, man. I, I enjoy seeing what you're doing online. I'm always amazed by the partial designs you're able to do because I know how much struggle at it the lab I used to be at. It's pretty cool stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is some cool stuff. It's really nice to learn your story and hear all that you're doing. Well, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Awesome, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Whitmix is thrilled to announce their most recent addition to their milling product line, introducing the DWX-53DC from DG Shape. This powerful mill satisfies your need for speed. Three reasons to consider this mill. One, it has three times the gripping power for PMMA. Two, it mills 30% faster. And three, The integrated webcam allows you to monitor a milling project from anywhere on any device. Head over to tinyurl.com slash Mill. That's the word tiny, the letters U-R-L, dot com forward slash Whitmix, R-O-L-A-N-D, mill. Or head over to this episode's show notes for a link. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. A huge thanks to John for talking with Elvis on the podcast while I was trying to get my life back together with the hurricane. I'm really sorry that I missed the conversation, but after listening, I know you understand that I was just too busy to make it to the recording, which is true. A little nuts, but we hear a lot of positive and negative things about doing removables digitally, but what you are doing and what you are working on gives hope to a workflow that is needed in our industry that has a growing patient need and a shrinking technician workforce, obviously. So if you all want to see some of the amazing things John is doing with removables, go find him on social media. It will blow your mind. Just saying. Great conversation with a great guy. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. All right, everybody. We hope to see you at the Whitmix Digital Forum. And if not, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. See ya. Still weirds me out, man.